Welcome to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast. If you want to hear the show, you can find it on Family Life Radio. If you want to find a station near you, you can go to myflr.org or stream it online. We're talking with Felicia Masonheimer. She's a blogger, an author, a speaker. She hosts a podcast. And uh, just her real heart is teaching women the history and depth of the Christian faith and helping them understand theology. And the new book is called Every Woman a Theologian. Know what you believe, live it confidently, communicate it graciously. Good morning, Felicia. We are so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it is our pleasure. So for somebody who's not familiar with the book, could you talk about Every Woman a Theologian, how that book came about and the the title, like the story behind the title, why that's so important? Well, it's a really special title, actually, because it's the name of our ministry and organization, um, Every Woman a Theologian. And what we do is we teach women how to know what they believe, live it boldly, and communicate it graciously, which is exactly what the book also intends to do. So it's really kind of the sum of everything I've been doing at our ministry for the last six years and for the 10 years that I've been writing publicly. And so what the book is intended to do is really to meet Christian women where they are in today's culture. I think a lot of women feel like they aren't equipped to answer the really tough questions that they're facing in our culture and from their children and their coworkers and their friends and family when it comes to their faith. Do they really know what they believe and why they believe it? Or are we just adopting things from our church culture or even from our secular culture? And so this book really helps give women a firm foundation on the core doctrines of Christianity and helps them learn how to explain that well to other people. You know, I love how you open the book just right from the get-go in the introduction and sharing a story about you visiting with a friend and and the challenge that you had to face. It kind of seems like it was the breeding ground for the launch of this book. Tell us that story. Yes, I was in a coffee shop in Virginia talking with a friend of mine who had been a Christian at one point in her life and was no longer professing to be a follower of Christ. And she was saying that she believed that you could just come to God through any religion or spiritual framework, that it didn't really matter that Jesus was a valid way to come to God, but he was only one of multiple ways. And as we were talking about it, I just shared with her that Jesus' own words were exclusive about himself. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, which means no one can come to God except through Christ. So what I pointed out to her gently and lovingly was that it's it's totally fine to believe that you can come to God through any of these avenues, but you can't include Jesus in that framework because he's removed himself from it. He himself said, I'm exclusive and you can only come to God through me. So, you know, if someone decides I want to be a universalist, they can't include Jesus in their universalism because he basically said, I'm not interested in in that framework. And so through that conversation, um, my friend and I had a great discussion about what does that mean? What what does it mean that Christianity is exclusive? And um, it was a wonderful conversation, but I could not have had that conversation if I did not know what I believed and where in the Bible it came from. And that was kind of a, a point where I realized there's probably a lot of women who aren't trained like I am, I have a religion degree, who don't feel as equipped 
to have these conversations, but every Christian should be able to have them. Yeah, I, I, I thought of myself in that situation and what would I say? And I thought, okay, this book is for me <laughs> because those are sometimes the hardest um, conversations to have because the friendship, you know, you don't want to risk the friendship. And yet you've proven that sharing the truth doesn't ruin a friendship. And um, I, I really loved that. And I guess I'm kind of jumping to the end. How did she receive that answer of yours? She was very gracious. I will say that sometimes sharing the truth does end a friendship. You know, it does depend on the person and it depends on how they receive the truth. You know, scripture says that the gospel in and of itself is divisive, but we as people are not to be offensive. So the gospel is offensive enough on its own, right? So it doesn't need any help to be <laughs> to be more offensive. We can be gracious and loving in how we communicate. And so we were still friends after that conversation. Um, but there have been other relationships where in gently and truthfully sharing the truth about Christ, I have lost a relationship. And I think that's consistent with what God says in the Bible about evangelism and about the gospel that sometimes um, it does divide us from other people, but God can still work through that, which is really exciting. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes time. My husband was reminding me of a conversation that I had over and over again with a dear friend of mine. And um, she called me one night and I said, ah, I can't do it again. And he said, no, answer the call one more time, just one more time. And that was the time that she was truly seeking and came to a living faith in the Lord. And I'm so grateful for his encouragement. And sometimes we need that because we think, okay, I've said it, you know, they rejected it. So move on. And um, I love the encouragement that, you know, share with her one more time. And I've never forgotten it. <laughs> mm, that's good. Love that. Yeah. You talk about questioning um, specifically you talk about how children can sometimes ask the best questions when it comes <laughs> to faith and I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and you you have small children too like I I was not afraid of questions I have a lot of them had a lot of them still have a lot of them uh, maybe don't ask as much as I should but um, that I think is where I got such a, a great grasp on what it is to have a relationship with God so as adults, you know, we, we kind of lose some of that. I don't know if we're afraid to ask the questions. We are afraid that we're not going to look smart enough. I don't know what it is. But why is that that curiosity and that willingness to question like a child so important? I think you're right that as we get older, maybe we think we're afraid of losing something if we ask a hard question of our faith or we're afraid of what we might find. I think in today's current American culture, we're worried that if we ask the really hard questions that we're going to end up walking away from the faith. But mm. in reality, when you look at scripture and you look at how Jesus engaged with people's questions, he was never afraid of those questions. He even asked really probing questions of other people to get to the heart of the law, get to the heart of what God was doing. But he always directed that back to the truth. And so as long as our questions are with that intent of knowing God truthfully and honestly and respecting how he revealed himself, which is in scripture, and then of course, generally in creation, we, we find 
that those questions actually draw us to a stronger relationship with God. I think back to the questions that I've asked over the course of my life. I've wrestled with the problem of evil. I've wrestled with atheism, different things I had to go through that in asking those questions, I actually came out on the other side even more confident in who God is in the truth of Christianity and the truth of the gospel. But if we never actually wrestle with those things or we just keep putting it off, putting it off, not only have we not answered it for ourselves, but we also can't answer those things for other people which puts us at a disadvantage when we are sharing the gospel like Jesus commanded. I think this also calls to uh, just the importance of being open to the questions of others too. I've, I've oh. witnessed in conversations where if somebody doesn't have the answer or they don't like the questions that are being asked, they just sort of shut down and there are missed opportunities there to just have an open and honest conversation um, about Jesus and, and, you know, express the gen the genuine kindness and love of Jesus and exploring those questions with them. So thank you for that. I love that. You know, you're very open in your book about some of your own struggles that have led to writing this book. And I think that to be vulnerable like that um, takes courage and strength of character from the Lord. So um, how does the theology enable us to have these better conversations, even based on our own experiences that we've gone through, sometimes our own struggles. So I think what a lot of people don't realize is that they already have a theology. We all already have a theology because we all have beliefs and assumptions about who God is and how he works. So you adopt these from your experiences, from the churches you attend, from your parents, from how you grow up. And unless we check those against the Bible and how God has revealed himself through history, then we don't know if those things we believe are true. And sometimes people will spend a lot of time in the church years and years and years without ever checking if what they believe about God's love or his holiness or anything in between is actually biblical. They just assume that it is. So we already have a theology and our experiences play a big role in shaping that so then the question is have i checked my experiences against what the bible says because if i had a very unloving or abusive parent and that is now translating to how i view god i have to look at what scripture says about god and allow god to reshape my understanding of him as father because I have this, this warped view of him as father because of this experience that I had happen to me. My theology has been shaped by my experiences. And that's why the word of God is so important because when we go to that, we see the truth of who God is. And that allows us to shape our theology rightly. Because when we go there, we see we have a father who is loving and patient, who doesn't wish for any to perish, who welcomes us home, who, who wants to equip us to be holy and walks with us the whole, you know, the whole journey. So I think that experience plays a big role in theology, but we don't want to base our theology on experience. We want our theology to be beyond that and outside of that so that what we're basing our life on is something that's true. Good point. I, uh, my father was never part of my life and my, and you're right, my entire a relationship with God was so skewed for so many years. And honestly, if I'm being very honest, and he constantly has to work with me on this, in the back of my mind, 
somewhere I'm always afraid I'm going to do something to make God leave me. And he's always like, read what I said. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Like I'm here. I'm here with you through thick and thin. So yeah, it's interesting how, especially our, those parental relationships play such a big part in how we view God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to theology, and I'm sure that you've met a great deal of people like this. Um, I feel like the, the knowledge portion of it is so important. Like sharing the knowledge sharing what they've learned, sharing what they've been able to dissect. And you talk about that, you say like, it's more than just intellectual satisfaction, not to get hung up on that, but there's some direction in there that we need to pay attention to as well. So could you talk about that? Yes. So this is what actually pushes a lot of people away from theology is if they feel like they're not intellectual enough or they're not interested in reading a lot, And that's why I always say first, you already have a theology, you know, it's just a matter of checking it against scripture and seeing how practical it is for the everyday. But then we also have to recognize that true biblical theology, understanding who God is, will always result in heart change. It's both head and heart, doctrine and devotion, intellect and intimacy. It's all all of that together. And the reality is we actually can't have intimacy and relationship with God without knowing him, knowing about him, right? If you're marrying someone, in most cases, you want to know them pretty well and trust them to make that covenant with them, right? And and that's exactly what it's like in our faith relationship with God. You have to know him, to trust him, to walk with him. And a lot of times people want to say, oh, I can just trust him or believe in him without actually knowing a whole lot about him. And that's not how it works. Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you need your mind engaged, but that doesn't mean your heart isn't engaged too. It's a both and kind of thing. Love that. You know, I think so many of us and me too from years past see Christianity as a rule book and just filled with all of these rules and God's just waiting for us to break one, you know, and he's sitting up there on that throne. And and yet you describe Christianity as this adventure. Can you tell us a story of how you've experienced that shift of thinking from rules to adventure? Because I love adventure. So one of the things that I think helped me to to really grasp this is understanding that the Bible is one big story. Now, it has a lot of little sub stories in it, accounts in it, but overall, it's one giant epic story from beginning to end. It begins with a wedding and it ends with a wedding. It has this climax in the middle where, you know, God comes down to dwell with humans, to make a way for humans to dwell with God. It's the wildest, most amazing story. And when we get too close to it, we can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. We get so used to hearing it that I think a lot of Christians can get bored with it. But when you step back from it and you go, oh my goodness, this is a spiritual reality, a spiritual faith. And It's a spiritual faith that is leading us into what is good and true and beautiful in contrast to what is evil and dark and wrong. We're part of God making himself known to a world. And he invites us not just to be a part of his family, but to then be a part of his mission to reach as many people as possible 
to bring them into that family. You're part of the grandest adventure that ever could exist. And it has eternal implications. I think it's so interesting that many people are very drawn to fantasy type novels and fiction novels. And many women really like historical fiction or romance novels. I think that's a part of human nature. We want to be part of this beautiful story. We want to be in a mission. We want to be part of an adventure. We love these stories. And yet when it comes to our faith, we act as if it it's just boring and, you know, something we do or, you know, we check it off the list. And I think that God put that desire to be a part of something bigger into all of us because he has an answer for it. And the biggest answer is in scripture itself and the adventure of walking with him. Am I the only you know, one that I, has Stephen Curtis Chapman playing in my head right now? The great adventure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Saddle up your horses. <laughs> That's totally happening. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I just have to touch on something that you touched on lightly, and that is the opportunity for those of us, especially in our early marriage years, which is just a struggle, you know, figuring all of that out. And those romance novels, I can remember my early days of marriage and getting wrapped up in waiting for my knight in shining armor. It sounds funny, but it's not. Um, this make-believe person to come home and um, and there is your husband and you said forever and I remember being convicted that um, this needs to not be a part of my life and that was really really difficult so I appreciate what you said there about um, and I just wanted to highlight that maybe you have a story behind it I definitely have talked about this um, when I talk about theology of sexuality, and I do think it's something just to consider, is that innate desire for something bigger than we are to be a part of that bigger story. Um, I think that really is why women are drawn to those kinds of novels. But as a, a Christian, um, I had struggled with the secular version of these novels. The um, They're called like Harlequin romance novels, um, or erotic novels, or basically pornography in a written form. And these particular novels were very difficult for me. Oh, here's my sweet husband bringing me coffee. Thank you. You're the <laughs> best. your knight in shining oh, sweet army. Husband. <laughs> He's my knight in shining armor. This With is coffee. why I don't need to read perfect. romance novels. <laughs> um, but what what I discovered through through an addiction to these erotic novels, these pornographic novels, is that they were actually shortchanging my a my theology of sexuality, but also shortchanging the beauty of a real life mm -hmm. experience of love with God and love with other people. Now, I think a lot of women don't realize this because it seems like a harmless story or they are, they're like, I don't, I don't really get affected by, you know, the sexual content. But the reality is that they really, it really does affect us. It shapes our tastes. It shapes our viewpoints. It shapes how we see our husbands, how we see romance and love. And I think we do, I found in being free from that addiction, I found that my theology of sexuality, my theology of, of love and of contentment of God's love for me actually greatly improved because I found that I could be really rooted in my day-to-day -day life and content there and see the goodness there instead of running away to hide in this fictional story. Um, I found something that was truly good and beautiful and pure and noble, like the Bible says, we are to think about um, in walking away from those things. And it's hard, it is hard um, to do that, but, and it's countercultural, but 
I think that when we really allow God to realign our minds to his truth, we find something just so much better than we expected. Yeah. Mm, amen. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, chick flicks are a big problem too. I, I finally reconciled mm-hmm. myself recently. I was like, my husband's never going to run through the airport and stop me at the gate with five dozen roses and a flash mob. <laughs> that Somebody who just comes alongside, meets us, wants to sit down with us in and what we're going through in life. You know, that type of personal relationship can really be outside somebody's um, even concept of, and how did you personally come to reckon with that and then share it um, outside of yourself with people in a way that they respond to? You're right that the tension of Christ being an authority and also a friend is hard (laughs) for a lot of us. Usually we end up with one extreme, right? You'll see a church that is really heavy on authority, or you'll see a church that's really heavy on Christ's friendship. So he's either, you know, the unloving judge, or he is your your buddy. And, and he's like, sure, wherever you go, I want to go. I'm never going to tell you you're wrong. And neither of those are how Christ is presented in scripture. So for my myself, going back to the um, erotica addiction that I had experienced, I, that was a 10-year-long journey for me. Um I had to reckon with the fact that God had the authority to speak to my sexuality because that particular addiction was spilling over into other areas of my life. He had the authority to address that and say, this is not good for you. But at the same time, he was loving and he was a safe place for me to come. If God is only holy, there's no safety in his affection, right? Where we tremble before him, there, there's nowhere to go. Like with our sin, we, we're not safe. We're condemned and a lot of people live there but if god is only love then he never confronts our sin and that's why it's so beautiful that our god is both holiness and love and these are not on two ends of a spectrum they're two sides of the same coin because he's holy he has to be you know loving and his love makes his holiness trustworthy and conversely we can trust his love will never change because he's holy and he won't ever betray us and that was what led me to find freedom from this addiction was to get my theology of God's nature biblically correct, that he loves me so dearly. I'm safe with him, but he's also going to confront my sin. And he's going to tell me there's a way out and I died to free you from this today. And so that combination of those two theologies, that reality is what led to an actual daily freedom. And that's where I why I, you know, stand on this little soapbox and talk about theology so much because everybody's daily freedom and reality of Christian life comes back to their theology at the end of the day. I love that you brought that up too, because I was, you know, you talked about how um, there there came a point in, in your personal faith where you chose to to look at things differently, um, where you chose to focus on God's love rather than fear of God. And I, I, I'm not necessarily the the good fear of God that we're supposed to have, but I know a lot of people, and I'm going to be real honest, there are times that this is what motivates me too. I find it creeping in where your faith is motivated by the, by fear of judgment or wrath or like that Looney Tunes cartoon that I saw when I was a kid placed in your head where you get on the elevator yeah. and they hit 
B for basement and you're like, wait, I didn't know I was going down. And that's kind of what, <laughs> what becomes the focal point of your relationship. And you said once you chose to focus on God's love, though, everything really changed for you. Talk about that if you would. Yes, I think, you know, again, in today's culture, sometimes we get afraid to talk about God's love because we're afraid someone's going to say God is only love and nothing else. But biblically, God's love is part of his very nature. And it's he so loved the world that he sent his son. That was the motivation behind Christ coming. And obviously he still judges sin, but I had a, a very um, like awake consciousness. I don't know if I can say this <laughs> saying it correctly, but like I was very conscious of my sin. So I didn't have a problem with understanding God as judge. I understood that very well. I had a weak understanding of God's love and his goodness toward me. I believed God loved the world, but I didn't think he loved me. I believed God maybe, maybe he did love me, but he didn't like me. And stories like the prodigal son help to change that, where you look and see that the prodigal started walking home. And while he was still far off, the father runs to him. Now, there's a difference here. The father didn't go out and find him while he was still in the pig pen, wallowing in his sin. Once he got up and started walking to the father, the father ran to meet him. And then he also runs to the older brother, the legalistic older brother who didn't want to celebrate the coming home of the prodigal. The father also goes to him. And so seeing those two examples of where God is pursuing people trapped in legalism and people trapped in hedonism or sin, in either case, God is meeting them there and saying, look, I have something better for you. And that love is what made a big difference in me actually coming to a saving knowledge of Christ and finding freedom. Love it. Wow. I love it. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself mm -hmm. in and through this book. And I'm just enjoying going through it and feeling encouraged in my relationship with the Lord. And I and I think that's a natural outflow of understanding better my relationship with the Lord. And so this is an important work that you put together for us as women and for the men who love us yes. <laughs> as well. <laughs> And uh, so tell us, where can we find the book? I know it's brand new right now as we're recording this. And uh, where can we find you? Because I have found your podcast and it is amazing. Thank you. So I am the host of Verity Podcast. That's one place to find me, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you like your podcast. And then on my blog and website, it's FeliciaMasonheimer.com. I'm the only Felicia Masonheimer in the world, so it won't be hard to find. <laughs> and then for the book, you can get Every Woman a Theologian, the book and the Bible study on Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, wherever you prefer. The eight-week Bible study also has a video series with it. So if you want to take the book and go deeper, um, especially in a church community, that's an option too. And thank you again for this. As somebody who has been perplexed, to say the least, by uh, previous <laughs> theology books I've tried to, to read. This is such a, a, a refreshing thing. You know, it, I, I think you make it very easy to digest and it's uh, very powerful at the same time. So thank you for writing this book. I love it. Thank you. That means so much. That was my goal. We do always wrap up our conversations with this question and that is, what brings you joy? Oh, what a great question. Um, well, I... This is going to sound maybe really boring and trite, but I love being home with my family. We have a very joyful 
exciting, vibrant home. My kids are really young. They're seven, five, and two. And just being with them and being able to run this ministry from home alongside my husband and my children is just a very special blessing. And it's something that I never take for granted. Love it. Felicia, thank you so much for being with us today. The book, Every Woman, a Theologian. We appreciate your time so much. Bye, ladies. Thanks for listening to the Kinkle Fritz and Friends podcast, heard on Family Life Radio. We would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can also find more exclusive content at myflr.org and FLR Mornings on both Facebook and Instagram. And if you support Family Life Radio, thank you.